Revealing Voices, the Mental Health Podcast, raising unanswered questions, sharing unanswered prayers. We are faith-based, peer-led, story-driven, and stigma-breaking. I am Tony Roberts. I am Eric Riddle. And we are Revealing Voices. Tony, this yes. is episode 11. This is it. Unedited. <laughs> we are live, except we've scheduled this. So we're live today, but you're going to hear us in another place, yeah. in another realm. You might be hearing a few more ums and ahs and, and brief pauses. Perhaps. Yep. Well, we're, we're doing this because it's a busy month for us. It's a busy month. And we started the... Uh, planning of our show with this in mind that we would like to reach a point in our confidence and with our listenership that we had a more immediate um, connection mm -hmm. and uh, we figure it's time episode 11 we've yeah. got 10 under our belt yeah 10 episodes interview driven and our, our show is going to continue to be very focused on interviews but the next two are going to be unedited uh, the first one we're focusing on Tony. Uh, the next one will be uh, focused on me. So kind of the structure of this is we're going to talk about Tony and his writing and how that's really uh, one of his healing. healing. Yeah, it's uh, my way of uh, receiving therapy. Um, actually, the best therapy that I have is to write. It's yes. also the cheapest. Yeah, and then for me, it'll be really focused on service, talking a bit mm -hmm. about my book and the period of time where I really dove into being a case manager in our flood recovery effort back in 2008. So that's the structure. Um, real quick, World Cup predictions. I just watched France beat Argentina. Uh, it was a, a messy performance for Argentina, and they lost. And I'm, I'm actually okay with that. France is a better team. Uh, but prediction, Tony, you, you don't really know. you got to throw a team out there, though. Who's winning? Yeah, I, I've not watched soccer uh, or football or whatever you want to call it basically my entire life. But uh, I have to go with one of our allies, Eric. Uh, yeah. I'm going with England. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The Brits. Yeah. Well, it's not the Brits because Wales and Ireland and Scotland are all... I see. They keep their football <laughs> players on their side. Yeah. Okay. England's look good. Uh, they lost to Belgium this week. Belgium's got a big team. And I have a good friend in, in Belgium. I've been going back and forth with him, John Henry Van Massenove. Uh, he's excited. They've got a great squad. I'm going to go with Belgium. Okay. And Dominic, my, my flatmate from, from Canterbury, uh, if England wins and Tony's right, I will also be very happy. Yes. Yeah. So, anywho, um, that's that's our predictions. Uh, travels. What what are we doing this month? What's Joel? Well, I have a few things to look forward to. Um, I'm going to New York, my uh, adopted state, where I spent most of my working career, and my children and grandchildren still live. Uh, I will have a chance to see my two youngest children as well as my oldest daughter and her family, my three grandchildren, 
and also spend some time in my cabin in the Adirondacks. Now, Tony, you have about a one-month-old grandchild. That's right. He's not even that, but uh, by the time, yeah, by the time this comes out, he was born June the fourth. Mm-hmm. His brother was ju- born June the third. Wow! <laughs> but obviously, several years—well, not several, but two years earlier. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cap was it Cat Paw? What is? Oh your yes. Originally, um, I've had several names that have um, Yampaw. The, yeah, the first was Hat Paw. Yeah, um, because I always wore a hat, and the second was Yampa Yaberts. Yes, <laughs> excellent. But now my my oldest uh, granddaughter is uh, supremely literate and uh, very precise in her pronunciation. So I'm I'm I have the full title of Grandpa Roberts. There you go. Very well pronounced. Official. Yes. Family loves you, And Tony. then to my middle grandson, I'm still kind of like, uh. <laughs> you know, my brother called me Ugga early on. My dad still says that every once in a while. Ugga. Kurt, man, that's, that's awesome. Uh, I've got a big month. I have not had a full day of vacation other than holidays since October. And so July is, is a big month for me. Uh, I'm, I'm leaving Monday with the family to go to Denver. Really looking forward to that. Be seeing Judy Taylor, a faithful oh, friend. Oh, great, great. Yeah, yeah, tell Judy I said hello. Yeah. Hi, Judy. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking some uh, some letters from folks in the church, some artwork great. from the kids to, to take to her. So. Good. We'll have some coffee there in Denver. Really excited about that. I'll be climbing a mountain with my buddy Patrick Fosdick, who just uh-huh. moved out there about a year ago also. So uh-huh. a lot to look forward to. Uh, then I'm going to Boston. Yes. Uh, for a weekend, a long weekend with Jen. And Jen lived there for a while. Eight years. Eight years. I met, she's a, I met Jen in Boston. She's a New England pa- Patriots uh, fan. Uh, yeah, it. yeah. No, no comment there. Uh, <laughs> Olivia McGuire is getting married and really excited for her. She's Good. actually marrying a guy from Greenwood. Greenwood, Indiana. Yeah. Yeah. How about that? I'm sure he's much younger than me. Yeah. We went to Val Vista Country Club for uh, yeah. kind of a pre-wedding. I used to play tennis event. there. Yeah? Yeah. There you well, go. Well, I take that back. I knew people who I played tennis with lived there. Yeah. Yeah. It was more of a golf course. Yeah. But they probably have tennis, too, but yeah, I wasn't nice. quite upper echelon to play tennis at their... <laughs> yeah. But I lived in Val Vista Apartments. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. My last stay at a stress unit was at the Val Vista Treatment Center. It was a good experience. Yeah, yeah. good. My, my dad is actually there on occasion as a as being a, a doctor for kind of a inpatient intake. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that was about five years ago. It was a good experience. And then I'll be going to Michigan with some friends. Uh, I've got a group of guys. We call ourselves the local drafts. We're going to Michigan for, for a long weekend, too. So it's a big week. John uh, Myers part of that group. Jo- Johnny Myers. Yeah. We, we love Johnny. Uh, so it's a big month, July. I'm looking forward to being off work a bit. It's been it's been a busy year in, in Costco life. Ready uh, for a break. The well-earned, yeah. deserved break. Respite. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... We're unedited right now, and 
we're talking about Tony's writing. Tony yes. loves writing. Oh, I live for writing. And I, I love reading his writing. <laughs> I write to live and I live to write, Eric. Yes. Yes. You, you said your, your blog is just at five years. Yeah, I've been... Actually, it goes back further, but I kept a, a, a an anonymous blog just to try to sample it out and test my wings. And I was a pastor at the time, so I wanted to be anonymous. But... Um, I deleted that, and then I've been blogging the past five years in the general vein of creative expression, yeah, uh, mental health, and faith. What's the blog website address? Well, the one I have is delightindisorder.org, yep. and uh, on that you will find almost exclusively mental health and faith reflections although to mix things up a bit um i sometimes include family stories mm -hmm. and things that uh, i have found creatively we talked about this creatively therapeutic like poetry and yeah uh, flash fiction that i write yeah uh, starting to branch out you use some of your writings from Delight and Disorder, the book that you pepper throughout the blog, also. Well, I did the first five devote, or the first five blog entries were exclusively yeah. those. And if you subscribe to my website, then you get those five mm -hmm. devotions. But since that first five, I've written all new okay. material. Okay. Um, so I'm proud of that. I produce. Two a week, and uh, they're both uh, in the range of 500 to 750 words a, yeah. uh, a pop. Yeah. So I'd like to ask you what authors and books first shaped your writing, and also what, what's shaping your writing today, where you find inspiration. Well, when I first started writing, I was such a big baseball fan that I read a lot of baseball books and fortunately uh, people turned me on to the good books like uh, The Boys of Summer by Roger Kahn about the Brooklyn Dodgers and uh, there was one called Only the Ball Was White. It was about the uh, what were called at the time Negro Leagues. The Kansas um, City Monarchs. Kansas City Monarchs. Yeah. Uh, uh, what else? Uh, Homestead Grays. Wow. Um, a lot of good Chicago Black Sox. Okay. <laughs> um, I think that was one. But, uh, <clears throat> yeah, so that really kind of brought my passion into the reading process and had me writing. Um, How early was that? Oh, boy, that was as soon as I could read. Yeah. I was reading The Boys of Summer when I was nine. Yeah. Eight, nine. Um, which is pretty impressive. It's not a child's book. Uh -huh. um, but then the first book that kind of convinced me that I could be a writer is Salinger's The Catcher in the Catcher Rye. Catcher in the Rye. Which is kind of common for a lot of people. My daughter just read that book. Yeah. I read that twice, uh -huh. which is pretty rare for me. Mm -hmm. uh, they were both school assignments. I, I switched schools in high school, and I had read it for English as a, I think, freshman and again 
in Columbus as a sophomore. It's, it's a it's a very good book. It's a good book. I read it as an adult and found it to be less inspirational. Yeah. But at the time of reading it, I was like, yeah, this is my teenage angst. Yeah. And a lot of sarcasm. I can read if I if he can write this, I can write it. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Salinger. What what else? What, what else has shaped your writing? Well, now. Um, I'm reading a lot of Kay Redfield Jameson, uh-huh. um, her book, An Unquiet Mind, um, about her mem- as a memoir of someone with uh, bipolar was mm-hmm. uh, instrumental for me when I was first diagnosed to show me that there was hope that I wouldn't have to be, uh, it wouldn't have to be a life sentence of gloom and doom. Yeah. Uh, she has lived a meaningful, purposeful life in spite of her illness. And I've read that probably four or five times. Wow. Uh, quote from it often, did a uh, reflection on it in my book. Um, and she's written a book now that I'm reading called Exuberance. She's uh-huh. taking a little different approach. She's using um, historical figures and literary figures and describing some of their extreme behaviors although in a positive light Mm -hmm. um teddy roosevelt and how he dealt with a lot of uh his grief over the loss of his loved ones by thrusting himself into such rigorous exertions like running his horses yeah Uh, and it was just amazing what he 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 had a period where he just went out west he was kind of a cowboy he he did. He just he went out hunting and you know yeah. Late in his life, he like was traveling the Amazon River. Well, in the book, it talked about um, with John Muir, who yeah. was a naturalist. He spent a great amount of time with him in Roosevelt in, and Muir. Yeah, huh? And they pretty much conceived the conservation efforts that Teddy Roosevelt yes. implemented um, that were historical and that yeah. were now seen or threatened. Right. Um, the Muir Trail in California is a, I hear, just one of the most impressive trails in the country. So she looks at the exuberance of men, women, characters. I think Snoopy uh, makes an appearance in there. Okay. <laughs> and uh, how it's not pathologized, you know, it's really okay. Even though uh, Teddy Roosevelt had uh, ponies riding the marble floors of the White House. Wow. Um, you know, that would be considered madness by many. Mm-hmm. Um, but look at the great things he accomplished. Muir would climb, uh, you know, Douglas firs 100 feet high. And during a winter storm, hang on to him and swing back and forth while he was shouting at the top of his lungs. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, but look at what he accomplished. Yes. So you spoke about your inspirations. When did you really first develop the passion for writing, really kind of commit to it? Well, I think when I was in college, um, it became clear that this was going to be my life focused in, in some way. Um, I took, I was an English major and took as many writing courses as I could. And I also took a, an independent study 
uh, to write a novella called Life in Obvious Places. Okay. And so during that time, I actually enrolled. My first move after college was to Bloomington and enrolled in the MFA program for creative writing. Okay. Um, I did not know that. Yeah, but, uh, well, because it never came to fruition, I, I, I ran out of money. I didn't have the scholarships to really make a go of it Mm -hmm. and uh, didn't earn the money I needed. So, but I did go into ministry and there's a lot of writing involved in that and relish that opportunity. And then when I served um, my time in ministry and went into my vocation of writing, uh, it has become even more my focus. Tell me a bit about uh, life in obvious places. Well, <laughs> it's a collection. I, I write, um, as you may know from reading my book uh, and my blog, I write in very short segments. You yeah. know, my attention span ends at about 500 words. <laughs> uh-huh. And so Life in Obvious Places was a uh, combination of a series of um, vignettes about a fictitious character who was just like me and uh, and the woman I wanted to be with uh-huh. um, and then uh, family stories and stories I knew about people I'd met uh, mm-hmm. and basically these two-page vignettes were just strung together without a whole lot of connection yeah um, but, so that style of writing you've kind of carried forth and, and yeah the format was part of the delight and disorder exactly yeah yeah and I still write that way um, there's an author and listeners would be interesting to see if anybody knows this author but he's named Richard Brodigan have you no he's um, part of he's sometimes associated with the beat the beat okay. authors like oh, yeah. Jack Kerouac I and was big Allen Ginsberg authors. yeah I wrote a, a thesis paper for an English class on the Beat Generation. You did? I did, yeah. Who, uh, who, which writers did you choose? Well, Kerouac was definitely yeah. the main inspiration yeah. for me. I, 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 I kind of fancy myself a, a Beat yeah. person in, in college and was rooming with a bunch of uh, kind of hippies. Uh, so it was just very interesting. Because the, the Beat movement, some people attribute to kind of paving the way for the, the hippie generation. Right. Right. Uh, so I, I really dug into that a bit. Well, Brodigan had an influence. He never really joined the movement. He was much more of an isolationist. But yeah. uh, he um, he wrote poetry. He wrote uh, these vignettes that combined. The book that influenced me the most is called In Watermelon Sugar. And I hi- highly recommend it. Wow. Did he have that kind of spontaneous prose thing going on? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, his his vision, his vision was really more, oh boy, how would I describe it? Yeah, it wasn't nearly as vibrant as Kerouac. Uh-huh. It was more laid back and, but very poetic. Good, good. What do you see as most essential in good writing? I think brevity is the most essential. We need to speak. We need to write what we want to say in the least amount of words mm-hmm. 
Jack Kerouac has a quote that I have over there on my desk. Okay. It says, uh, one day I will find the right words and they will be simple. Huh. Or one, let me hang on. I'm going to look at Okay. That. I don't have that right. Well, how do you like Hemingway? I think Hemingway yes, felt the right. same way about writing. Yeah, Hemingway was very good. One day I will have the right words and they will be simple. Okay. Yeah, Hemingway, um, I think most of the best writers uh, knew how to compact their writing so there was no wasted words. Uh-huh, right. So blogging would be a good format for that, and your, your general, even in your, your books wins itself well to, to blogging. Exactly. And when one of the disciplines I had when I was blogging in an earlier carnation was take, taking my sermons, which were like 1,600 words, mm. and, and editing them down to a 500-word blog. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's a good discipline. You, you were saying you're starting to write devotionals, yeah. but a, a big portion of that is editing for you. Uh, yes, um, the devotionals that I write for Upper Room, Stand Firm, these days, um, all have very strict word limits, um, that are usually in the range of 250 words. Yeah. And, uh, you've really got to stick to a particular topic and stay on track. Yes. Well, uh, let's transition to some of your writing, and let's start with the article that appeared in a local newspaper just, uh, was it last week, within the last couple of weeks? Yeah, last Saturday. Which was inspired by a blog that a listener, uh, mm-hmm. Brian Blair, read and said, hey, we, we need to get this on the, the front page of the Faith and Community section of the, the Republic. Tell, tell us more about the article, Tony. Well, this was partly in response to the recent a rash of suicides we've talked about here on the show. Uh, But it really dates back. I know the studies came out that there's been a rise in of 25%. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is that in the last decade or it's in a short period of time? Yeah. Um, And the the paper said today, there was another article that 45,000 people die by suicide a year. Yeah. Currently. I know it, the one statistic I heard is every 15 minutes. It's probably gone wow. even even more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wrote this piece about my own suicide attempt, what uh, prompted it, and how every suicide is different. Right. Um, sometimes we try to claim... There were some claims coming out after this rash of suicide that you know, if they only had more faith on the one hand, or mm. if, if we only had more better mental health care. Yeah. And really, it's a multifaceted uh, problem. It's yes. an epidemic Absolutely. that needs more than a simple answer. Right. Uh, and I offer in my article three things. Um, first of all, watch out for people who seem to have it all together. Uh-huh. Um, you know, we saw in Anthony Bourdain, Robin Williams, Kate Spade, yes. that these people were riding the top of their careers, mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes they're really masking mm-hmm. a lot. Uh, yes. And secondly, you, you, you talk yeah. in the article about 
you know, the, the people who look like they have the most together are actually the people who have the least left to give because they're right. so stacked with projects or expectations. And, and there's a lot of pressure in, in performing in mm -hmm. some ways. Yeah. yeah, I know that has been written of, of Kate Spade in particular, that she didn't seek help because she would have, she was afraid it would threaten her brand. Yeah, as we, they we say. touched on that in the yeah. Sarah Lund episode. And I think the second is to get more solid research for pharmaceuticals that make a difference. Uh -huh. I think one of the terrible, tragic, horrific things is that most of what I see is that pharmaceuticals coming out have been studied for market value, yeah. basically to get the most profit uh -huh. and not the most effective treatment. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to change systematically what that looks like. Yes. Um, I don't have an answer. I'm not a legislator. I'm mm -hmm. not a research scientist, but... Uh, yeah. I do know that that has to change. Uh, mm -hmm. And then finally, I think uh, we, we, and this is something I'm more familiar with, we are more involved in, is integrating faith, psych psychiatry, and uh, therapy as a threefold mm -hmm. approach to healing. Yes. Yeah, suicide is not a topic that comes up in church very often. Mm-mm. And I think, unfortunately, church can also be somewhat of a performance where you're, you know, bringing your best face into, you know, worship context, and you don't sometimes have a lot of space to put that raw emotional um, difficulties in your life out in front of the congregation, even in front of a small group, mm -hmm. which is one of the inspirations for our Faithful Friends ministry is allowing people the space to talk about the most difficult emotional moments uh, exactly. in, in their life. It's not at all uncommon that we have someone talking about recent um, suicidal ideation mm -hmm. uh, and uh, as well as in the past. Mm -hmm. uh, and we don't overreact. Right. Uh, neither do we ignore it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Tony, let's transition to uh, actually having you read a piece from Delight and Disorder. Uh, we chose the, um, the vignette on Day for Rejoicing. Yeah, a little background. I have um, chosen this, or Eric recommended, and I, I thought it was a good choice because uh, it's, it's more one of my more upbeat devotions. Um, and yet it also describes a struggle that I have that people who battle depression and bipolar depression often have. And that's the, the biblical command to, to rejoice when you don't feel like it. Mm -hmm. It goes like this. First from Psalm 105.3. Glory in his name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Rejoicing is not something for the faint of heart. It is not something we should entrust solely to those for whom happiness comes easily. To rejoice in the Lord is to offer up to God our whole selves, body, mind, and strength. 
grateful for what we've been given and expectant to be put to good use for God's glory. In Philippians 4.4, the Apostle Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. I often fall short of the ideal of rejoicing always. When I do, it helps to be around people who have the gift of encouragement. As someone with bipolar, I tend to isolate myself, particularly when I go through depression. At these times, however, perhaps more than ever, I need to be around people who keep me rejoicing along my way. Mm-hmm. Yes. Rejoicing as, um, find that as a, from a source of people who encourage you is, is a big theme there. And uh, for some folks, I think, who are really going through a depression, a tough time, uh, they feel like they're going to bring others down. Mm-hmm. And so at the very time you, you need the most encouragement, it may be that you um, don't go to those folks. Mm-hmm. And a part of having a, a safe space in your life is for people to, to know the struggles you go through and that offer themselves and, and their special, really spiritual gift of encouragement mm-hmm. um, to, to allow you to be in that space and regardless of how you feel or the amount of energy you have to just pour, pour that gift into you. Yeah, and you know, that's, again, we go back to faithful friends, such a great blessing because sometimes if you have this particular struggle of a mental illness or mental mm-hmm. health diagnosis, you feel a little bit like a leper in, in, mm. in general society. You don't want to, as you say, pass on your contagion. Mm. But when you're with a group of people who can cry and laugh and commiserate and pray and yeah. all that we do together, uh, it it relieves and allows us to rejoice. Mm-hmm. And on the flip side, you know, the same person who at times needs the encouragement can become the encourager to others. You know, yep. we, we all... Uh, can fall on either side of that spectrum. Mm-hmm. And I, I see it all the time in that group. Yep. You know, we we tell people that they they are an encouragement to us, mm-hmm. uh, even when some days they're the ones who really crave that encouragement and they're struggling. So great piece in there, Tony. Thank you for sharing. Uh, and another uh, part of your book here, you've got kind of a... a dual uh, couple vignettes. One is called 10 Things Things to Look for in a Psychiatrist, and you also have 10 Reasons to Leave Your Psychiatrist. So I'm going to read from the book here, starting with 10 Things to Look for in a Psychiatrist. The the psalm in here from 118.8 says, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to put confidence in mortals. It says, while psychiatrists typically do not provide much more than medication management, it is helpful to find one who at least coordinates quality care to address psychological needs from a more holistic perspective. Here are 10 characteristics I have found in the best psychiatrist. And this is great advice here, Tony. Someone who listens to what you say and hears what you don't say. Someone who provides good treatment options in plain language. Someone who is reasonably accessible in between appointments. 
That's a great, great point there. Someone who keeps up on the latest meds, and yet someone who is not overly anxious to prescribe them all. Someone who talks with your key loved ones respectfully. Someone who can smile when you joke about your illness, yet someone who doesn't laugh with you when you are being manic. Number nine, someone with a calm demeanor who can readily ease anxiety. And finally, someone who respects your faith as a primary healing resource. Well, I really knew what I was talking about back then. Yes. <laughs> Those are good recommendations. Have you found a psychiatrist that meets that? I have. Yeah, me too. Yeah, my, my psychiatrist, I was uh, taking lithium, which was mm -hmm. very helpful. And I, you know, have blood tests and it got to a mm -hmm. point where she was really concerned about my blood levels. And she told me she could not responsibly keep prescribing that. And that, that was a tough challenge from her. Um, but I accepted her medical advice and, you know, the, the switch there it was about four years ago has been great for me. Good. I now take Lamictal and it's yep. really been very helpful. For me. Um, for some jest, another take on this, she wrote 10 reasons to leave your psychiatrist. Um, here it says, it, it, it's time to leave your psychiatrist when you hear this. Enough about your mother. Let's talk about mine. <laughs> sure, the blue meds are working, but the pink pills are so much cuter. <laughs> In my professional opinion, you're crazier than a loon. <laughs> Number four, suicide, schmuicide. <laughs> uh, number six, if, if you want a taste of ECT, just stick your tongue to the car battery. <laughs> what was that you said? I, I was too busy picturing you in the nude. Whoa. Before we treat your OCD, I'd like you to clean out my garage. <laughs> you think you've got problems? My Porsche has a flat tire. <laughs> I can see now why your wife wants to leave you. And you think you're fat because you are fat. Those are pretty rough. And I... I yeah, can't say I've those... really had that experience. No, I I think uh, I think all of those are pretty much imaginary for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, although sometimes you think, you know, you read between the lines like, what is what is he really saying, or what is she? Yes, what does she mean by that? <laughs> some experiences of mine with more troubled advice have come from some nurses. Mm, who have kind mm. of taken the tact of you're always going to have problems and mm -hmm. if you don't take these meds it's just going to get worse with time and yeah you know or the whole like giving you the stats about divorce or right. job loss those sorts of things that really aren't very helpful that's right yeah yeah so some great advice there uh, 10 Things to Look for in a Psychiatrist, page 159 in Delight and Disorder. Um, yeah, uh, well, let's talk about the future direction of your writing. What What is going on, Tony? Well, 
this year I've taken a, a step, not, not a step back. I have returned to something in my past that has brought me great joy and healing within the realm of faith. Um, I've reconnected with some devotional magazines, as I mentioned, mm -hmm. the upper room I've, I'm most excited about if those of you who may not know the upper room, it's the largest devotional magazine in the world. And they have over 2 million, uh, persons that they reach. Wow. Uh, I have a devotion coming out in July 30th in their print magazine. It will also appear on their website. Uh, and then a book with one of my personal inspirational stories will appear soon. And then they just asked me this week to write another devotional blog. Uh -huh. um, so, yeah. You're going to be published in a book. That's yeah. a collection of different authors. Yeah, it's like an anthology. Okay. Yeah. Um, What's the working title of that? Short and sweet. Okay. <laughs> it's uh, the the principle behind this is she wanted uh, us to submit stories that were uh, a certain number of words, but they, other than the names, they all had to be monosyllabic words, so one syllable words. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> it was a challenge. <laughs> That's tough, even writing a, a haiku. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many words? It was three hundred, maybe. Um, three hundred so, mono. Yeah, monosyllabic words. Yeah. Wow. So then, devotional. Yeah, upper room um, is the most excited. Uh, I've also taken to r returning to write to write some poetry. Uh, I feel when I write poetry, it, it 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 sends me well. Both when I write poetry and devotions, I feel I'm entering into a, a spiritual um, realm of attentiveness that I don't feel when I do any other writing. Mm -hmm. um, I enjoy all kinds of writing, but it's. Um, it's less intense yeah. for me. Poetry and uh, devotions have that quality for mm -hmm. me. Um, but as terms of, a, of an extended uh, uh, project, I mentioned this to Eric, and he's like, don't put this on my plate right now. But I do envision, uh, we had talked earlier when we began this project, of revealing voices of someday, you know, keeping a log mm -hmm. and someday kind of drafting what the process was for us. And I would like to work on that project, you mm -hmm. know, even during this season when he's, when you are really busy, I would like to lay the groundwork for that. Yeah. Maybe even starting from the time we met. Yeah. Some of our behind-the-scenes posts mm -hmm. in the Revealing Voices website get to that. We haven't been publishing a lot of blogs mm -hmm. uh, along the lines of what we call behind-the-scenes, but that's part of the inspiration is just recording the process and what what this is like having a podcast. Yeah, and I think people, you know, similar to your book in terms of flood recovery, 
I think people in mental health ministry could benefit a great deal uh, from our story from the time I wrote my book, yeah, uh, time you were in flood recovery, to when we met, sure, and on into, um, on into the point where we published something. Co-authored, so, I think so. That that is find a good editor, a worthy project. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, do do we really get to the heart of what you see as the the mission of your writing? No, I didn't. Let's um, talk about that. I, you know, I was in pastoral ministry for about twenty years, and uh, my focus was pretty clear that I served this body of believers and from uh, cultivating their faith, we branched out and reached the community and the world at large. Yeah. But it really started with worship and what happened through the week. Mm -hmm. uh, I did write pieces, but my, you know, my primary congregation was the people who gathered now in my writing my congregation has expanded. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a early on, I had a woman from Australia who donated to my original delight and disorder campaign. She was the largest donor, you know, yeah. and read my work consistently. Thank you, Lynn. Um, and, uh, we, uh, so now I'm starting to reach a point where with the podcast, with delight and disorder, people are, writing to me, coming to me who have mental health issues and they are looking for what is similar to pastoral support. Yeah. You know, so it's like I'm, I'm becoming a mental health minister. Absolutely. Through, through my writing. And, um, Tony, you are, as we said in, in your episode, uh, earlier episode, been at this for a long time and in a way uh, creating new space in, in ministry uh, you're writing you know the faithful friends ministry that you lead the book podcast I mean take take some credit for that yeah uh, you're a humble man but you already are a minister to those who um, have mental health challenges well, and you know, I'm also seeing in the midst of that, thank you very much for that. Yeah. And I'm also seeing, okay, just quickly, I see that uh, it all starts in my basement, you know, rather than in the worship setting. Mm -hmm. It starts in my basement, and then I get calls, I get video conferences, yeah. you know, and I can branch out. I imagine in some ways you have more time for one-on-one -on -one ministry than you even did as a pastor with all the kind of corporate mm -hmm. big church responsibilities that are wrapped up into that. Quick story. I was up all night writing something and this gentleman wrote to me while I was writing and said, um, I just was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Can I call you? <laughs> and, yeah. and I said, sure. I'm, I'm up until so-and-so. Someone you've never no, known. Never known. And he wanted to do a video conference. So I, he called me, you know, eight o'clock in the morning. I'd been up all night and we talked about it. A young 25 year old pastor, wonderfully energetic. Um, mm -hmm. I still 
I think he'll do great, but he's dealing with early diagnosis and yes. you know, I still pray for him. We still communicate. Very nice. You want to take a moment to pray here? Let's do that. Let's do that. Would you like me to, or you? How about you? Uh, I'll start. Lord, thank you for the uh, consistency we have uh, with this program, uh, the flexibility of uh, having an unedited uh, moment here. Um, we thank you for Tony, for his ministry, for his humility. Uh, help him to be encouraged in his writing, whether it be for the purposes of publication or just for uh, his personal wellness. Lord, thank you for his voice, for his uh, maturity and continued development. Uh, I, I pray that he uh, just always rejoices in you and uh, does seek encouragement in those times of, of struggle. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of, of Tony's life. In Christ's name. And I thank you, Lord, for bringing Eric into my life and for the ways that he has served in this community and in the lives of so many. I thank you for his stable guidance and friendship. He's someone I depend on and uh, allow me to continue to reach out in my ministry and our ministry together in Christ. Amen. Amen. Tony, our show has come to a close. Now is the time to ask for five-star reviews. Please scroll to the bottom of our podcast homepage, click on five stars, then click on write a review. Help us reach more people seeking emotional healing and the hope of faith. Thanks again for your support of Revealing Voices. Revealing Voices is not a substitute for professional mental health care or participation in a faith community. If your unanswered questions or unanswered prayers leave you feeling desperate or unsafe, we urge you to seek further help. A partial list of outreach resources may be found on our website, revealingvoices.com. We'll do this again. Unedited Eric. I think we should do it now.